I met a ton of people who were amazing, inspiring. Like I talked to folks who had like long-term illnesses and hadn't been visited by a candidate ever um, in their home. People who gave me fresh grown vegetables or cans of homemade plum jelly and had gave me breakfast on the road from their home. Um, I, gave, I held a woman as she like cried because she just found out her sister died right before I knocked on the door. Those experiences are invaluable moments of human connection that I only would have had because of doing that thing. So, I mean, it's a bummer not to win, but but I did win. Like I won a lot and that felt really great. That's Catherine York, a Teach for America alum who went on to run for a state representative seat in Mississippi in 2019. She lost that race, but went on to run for school board in Waterville Valley, Mississippi in 2020. That race she won. In today's episode, Catherine tells us about her journey from the classroom to the campaign trail. Catherine York grew up in a small town in Georgia. Both of her parents were educators who modeled a strong commitment to service in their own lives. And after studying English and philosophy at the University of Georgia, Catherine decided to serve with Teach for America in the Mississippi Delta. And there she taught music in a rural school for two years. After that, she went on to serve with another organization called Teach First based in the United Kingdom. And she served another couple years in a large urban school in London. Catherine then returned to Mississippi, where she became the first executive director of the Thacker Mountain Radio Hour, a live radio show featuring musicians, authors, and poets broadcasting out of Oxford, Mississippi. In 2019, she decided to run for a state Senate seat, and she jumped in with both feet. She made it to the runoff for the Democratic nomination and raised $80,000 in a four-month campaign before she ended up losing that runoff. Just a few months later, she decided to jump back into the arena to run for school board in Water Valley, Mississippi, and that time she won. On this episode, Catherine talks about her lifelong commitment to service, her experience in classrooms in the Mississippi Delta and in London, England, and why she decided to run for office. She talks about what it was like to campaign in rural Mississippi and how she involved her two young children in her campaigns. She also talks about how she knows she's making a difference as a member of the school board in her community. Catherine's a working mom, and she was watching her kids during our podcast interview. You'll hear some kids and a dog in the background, and I hope you'll take it all in as an act of appreciation for what it takes to balance being a parent with stepping up to serve the community. Catherine is an amazing servant leader, and I'm thrilled to welcome her to our show. Catherine York, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Uh, Max, thank you so much for having me. I um, really enjoy your company, of course, and love new politics as an organization. So anytime I'm able to be in community with you all, um, I, of course, will jump at the chance. So awesome. much, much appreciation. Awesome. Well, excited to share your story with our, with our listeners today. And so I'll start where I always start, which is what's your earliest memory of learning the value of service? Yeah, that is... Such a good question. So, you know, my parents both were educators or are educators, I guess. Um, so 
grew up understanding the importance of being a part of a community and really building the kind of relationships that are two-way and inclusive. Um, but I think my most concrete memory of that, and probably the earliest one too, is my parents ran a bike-a-thon to raise awareness and money for research for cystic fibrosis. We, um, there was a family in our community who had a child that suffered cystic fibrosis. And in the early eighties, when they were organizing this event, not a lot of people knew about the disease. There wasn't a lot of money being put into research for it. And so they saw an opportunity to both rally around a family in our community, um, pull the community together and have an impact that went even, even broader than that. Um, and so we worked together as a family to build this bike-a-thon. We mapped out a race um, route and got community officials involved. The police came to direct traffic. And um, I learned a lot about what it takes to logistically do something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then built a base of really excellent volunteers to help out on the day. And then, of course, I got to participate in the event itself, which included going door to door, um, getting sponsorship for every mile that I rode and um, knowing that that work all was not for me exactly, but going to support um, the re research that would benefits this family in our community. It was really beautiful. Um, the event day was, of course, as any event, you know, packed with details and uh, getting up early and coffee and donuts for folks. And I remember um, people kind of showing up, starting the day slowly. And then as things got into full swing, it was really kind of awesome to see all these people who I saw, you know, at the grocery store, or at school, or just around the community, kind of come together all in one place to benefit um, just one part of our community. And the end of the day, of course, after everything, you know, you packed everything up and the sun's going down, just be being there with my family and the family that um, was a part of this event and just really appreciating um, what it feels like to be sort of exhausted for someone else. Mm. And that is such a, it, it was such an important moment for me and something that I really use a lot um, throughout my entire life, even today. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like early campaign training. You're going door to door, raising <laughs> money, even as a, a really, little girl. Really. <laughs> it was good preparation. That's amazing. That's a huge family project. Um, your parents were educators. Were they teachers or administrators? Tell us a little bit about, more about them. My mom was a classroom teacher for a really long time and then worked her way through her own educational journey and became a school administrator. She was the assistant principal of the elementary school where I went to elementary school, which oh, wow. was really okay. neat. Okay. And my dad was a musician and played out, played in bands and um, did that for a real long time, had a great time doing it. And then um, I think when my brother and I were born, my mom suggested strongly that he may uh turn that towards a more lucrative, consistently lucrative professional choice. Yeah. So he um, became an elementary school music teacher and also taught me music in elementary school. Uh, um, okay. Which is really great. Now, my mom um, has retired and is ha happy in her retirement, although I'm sure she would say she's still teaching any opportunity she gets and does a lot of work with my kids and homework and it's been wonderful That's the best. and my dad um i know so great my yep. dad is like an 80 year old substitute music teacher 
So still getting in there every chance he gets. He Incredible. loves, they love it. Yeah. yeah. It's what, what did your dad play? He plays a little bit of a lot of things. So, um, I mean, like any great musician, he can tootle around on pretty much any instrument, yeah. but yeah. Uh, predominantly he plays the hammered dulcimer, the guitar, the corded zither, mm. um, the lapper mountain dulcimer, and when pressed, the jaw harp. Hilarious. Wow. wow. <laughs> Lots of stuff. So folk music type of stuff, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. Very he cool. totally studied that and um, and really fell in love with it and taught himself a lot, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I love it. Did you always know you were going to be a teacher? Was it kind of like you knew when you were five years old that that was a, a path for you? I mean, I'd like to play school a lot, but I think uh, mostly it was just because I got to tell my brother what to do. Um, but <laughs> that's a bonus, right? Uh, when I went to college, uh -huh. <laughs> totally. When I went to college, uh, my parents, who were both teachers, said, try to pick something that's not education and it'll suck you in. You'll get stuck in it. It's not, you know, it's not, you're not going to make a ton of money, you know, like explore other options, which is, I think, a really nice push. Mm -hmm. And and um, so I tried to do that. I, I was a pre-law major. I was really planning to graduate from college and go on to law school and not totally step out of the world of education. I was really interested in education policy yeah. because I felt like that had a really big impact on the people around me. Um, that crystallized for me in college where I was with folks who, um, you know, the college, the, the education system, the K-12 system was really built for folks that look like me yeah. um, a lot, right? And I, and my parents would work in the system, right? So I had a lot of benefit in my K-12 education. Um, and yet, and still, when I went to college, there were folks who um, really did, it was like a breeze for them. They had a totally different educational experience and K-12 education that made their college experience very easy. Um, and then there were a whole group of folks who had a much, much harder time than I did. And it's because their K-12 education experience was much different than mine and much more difficult. So that level of disparity that I saw around me made me really want to focus on policy that would make education a more equitable experience for all. Um, and as I got ready to graduate and I was sharing these big idealistic thoughts with my mom, who, you know, of course, has been in the classroom for her entire lifetime, mm -hmm. she said, um, maybe before you start to make decisions for people who are doing this work, you ought to like have some experience doing this work, Sounds wise. which Sounds was wise. really an important, yeah. mm -hmm. right. An important thought. So, um, but you know, I didn't major in education. So I, at that point I was like, okay, yes, that sounds right. I need to take a beat and like, think about what's next. And at the same time, um, teach for America was recruiting on my college campus and I heard about it through a friend. And I was like, this checks all the boxes. This is a group who is working to make education more equitable. It will set me up to do that work in a community where there's great need and there's great training. So I'm not going to be just showing up and doing a disservice to students who actually really need excellent teaching. Um, so I joined Teach for America and from there, um, that's, that's where I kind of got my start. Yeah. Was it a hard choice or just you kind of knew after graduation, this is what I want to do and TFA is the right way to do it? Yeah. I think the choice to pause on my like, dreams of going to law school immediately and instead um, slow down and 
and engage in some service first was a really hard choice from the, my, the person that I was in that moment. Um, but it also was the moment where I was like, you know, what feels great is not always doing the thing that just you want to do, but seeing the world as a, in a much broader lens Mm -hmm. and looking to see what it is you want to do in the world rather than just what do you want to do? I thought that was, that was hard, but it was good. And so you ended up teaching in Mississippi. Was Mississippi your first choice? How'd you end up there? Yeah, um, I did. I taught in the Teach for America has lots of regions, but the mm-hmm. Mississippi Delta region was um, one of the highest needs regions and one of the places where I felt like I could have the biggest impact and the most immediate impact. And that's what was really important to me at that time. Um, and that proved to be really true. So um, yeah, I put it as my number one spy. I also really erroneously was like, well, it's a small Southern it'll be a small Southern town. And I grew up in a small Southern town, so it'll be very similar. Um, but of course the Delta is its own region. It's a different and, thing. Yep. A hundred percent different from anywhere else in the mm-hmm. most amazing, beautiful, um, way. And so I was very happy to have that education <laughs> as well. Um, and, and really fell in love with it. Tell us, tell us more about it. What grade were you teaching? And just, you know, what was your experience like with TFA? Yeah. Yeah. So I moved to Marks, Mississippi, um, and taught at Madison S. Palmer High School, home of the Dragons. Um, and I taught eighth uh, through 12th grade was the catchment for their high school. Um, and when I got there, they had had a music program. I taught choral music, the best. Um, they'd had a choral music program a while ago and we're trying to get it back started again. So I actually recruited students to be a part of the class that I taught. I didn't, I didn't have a roster when I showed up, I had to like recruit people to get into the class, which ended up being really great. And my students were amazing. They just naturally brilliant and, uh, just amazing human beings and so much talent. Um, and some of it was musical and some of it was not musical, but you know, like it was great. It was a group of people that really wanted to do something and do it together. And we built a team and it was, it was fantastic. And then in my, but one of the things that my administration continued to say was, you know, we really want these kids to have the opportunity to go to competitions and maybe get scholarships to college for music. But my dad, being an elementary school music teacher, we talked a lot about the need for K-12 music education if you're going to really like push something, push people in that direction. So I went to the principal of my school and the superintendent um, in Quitman County and just said, hey, if we want students to really have this opportunity and I think that we do that, we'll to expand the music from just high school into like elementary and middle school. And however I can help with that, I want to help. So much to my like delight, they hired a K-5 music teacher and expanded my teaching into the middle school. So we got that set up in my second year. And um, I set a goal with my kids to go to district choral competition. They had never been, the school had never been. Um, but we went and we wanted to get all excellent ratings and excellent or superior ratings. Um, and really just to like go, you know, and have the experience of doing that. People thought I was completely out of my head to set that kind of a goal. It's a really mm-hmm. audacious. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, 
seemed wild, um, but we did it. And the kids did great. They were so cute and nervous. And, you know, they got up to sing and did such a great job. There were other high schools there from across the, the region, you know, and everybody che- clapped and cheered. They said, this is the first time the school has been, yeah, you know, Quinman County's been to choral competition. And yeah. um, all the students that were not from our school were so encouraging. And on the bus ride home, we're sort of debriefing and talking about it. And um, one of my kids was like, you know, I was feeling really, really anxious about it. And I really thought that people were going to laugh at us because we just didn't have the experience. But the thing that made me feel the best was when we stood up on stage and everybody that was our age was there looking at us and clapping for us. And that was such a moving moment for me because, you know, that's like, that's the impact I wanted to have. Yeah, sure. Not, Not individual. It's not about me. It was about helping students realize their own natural talents and abilities to illuminate their own brilliance and for them to really feel ownership and agency in that. And that was really just a really cool moment. Love it. And you you kind of changed the district with the elementary school. I mean, often I hear from TFA core members and it's so focused on your classroom, which is so powerful mm-hmm. but to see in that short period of time changes for the whole yeah. district. That's very cool. Very cool. How would you say it shaped you? How would you say the experience of serving with TFA shaped you? Wow. Um, You know, I will credit Teach for America with a lot of leadership lessons. Um, I came out of college um, with a good idea of who I was and what I thought in the world. But I didn't have the kind of experience with people that were not like me um, that really, I I think, um, are the hallmarks of a super strong leader. And what Teach for America did was put me in... um, put me in places where not everybody agreed with me all the time, um, where folks didn't look like me, hadn't grown up with the same, um, advantages and disadvantages that I did and, and invited me into a conversation to explore that. And that was really powerful. Um, so I think that part, um, just on the human side really helped strengthen my skill at, being relating to other people, being willing to, to talk and work across lines of difference. Yeah. Powerful. Uh, and you were, you were served for four years, right? You taught for four years. Am I getting the story? I taught for four years. I was a teach for America Corps member for two years and fulfilled my commitment commitment. with them. And then I moved to, um, actually joined another, um, another organization called Teach First, which was the Teach for America of the United Kingdom, basically. So moved to London and taught in Crown Wood School in Greenwich um, Borough, which is the largest public catchment in London. So Mm -hmm. I moved from like the smallest school you could imagine (laughs) to the largest school in the biggest city. Yeah. Um, And in another country. And so I just had, it was a really wild experience, but a really great experience um, comparing our United States education system with the education system in the UK. And there are some things that we do really great here that they could learn a thing or two about. There are some things that they do really well there that I would love to see us take on as well. But having those two side by side um, developed me as a teacher. I think I'm a much stronger educator because of that experience, but also yeah. I think broadened I think it was easy for me 
as an American to say, this is the way we do things. This is how it's done. Right. Right. But being um, in a country that was not my home country in a system where, you know, education is the promulgation of culture, right? It's like how you teach people how to be who they're going to be in the place where you are. Right. I'm going to do that from in a different place in a different country with a different culture was very, um, very educational for me. Right. So I learned how to pause and say, this is not wrong. It's just different. It's different than how we do it here in the United States. Totally cool and interesting. Um, and I think that lesson I brought back with me and I think that made me really want to be, want to think about systems level change in a way Mm, that, mm. um, was more about building belonging and broadening experience than figuring out the one right way to do things and pushing that direction. I need an example. I need, I need something concrete. Help me understand like something that they do differently over there. That's, that's, uh, you know, gave you the sense of the differences. For sure. Yeah. So, um, in the UK, I was, um, in charge of what's called a tutor group, which is like a homeroom basically. And that group of students I, um, was attached to as their tutor group head when they came into year seven, um, which for us would be about sixth grade. And then I saw that group of students um, and it was like 24 kids in the morning before school and at lunch before afternoon classes every day, every day from the time they were in year seven until they completed compulsory education in year 11. So it was a really amazing way to build relationships, not just with those kids, but with their families, parents and caregivers. Um, sisters, brothers, cousins, like other folks who are in the school and really start to put that network together in a place that's so huge, like London, that felt especially important. Um, But also part of the the why behind that model um, is the emphasis on pastoral care that the UK places on teachers in the education system. Pastoral care means um, the care that you give students outside of your classroom. Like you're responsible for their learning while they're in your class for sure. But the tutor system, tutor group system, um, puts the onus on teachers to understand what what is happening in students' lives inside and outside of school. And it's like, you're legally responsible for ensuring that students are cared for um, to a standard that is, um, you know, acceptable for humans. And that was, that's a really big difference from here. We talk about that here. And I would argue that a lot of times teachers in the United States take that on anyway, uh, because it makes them better teachers and it makes them really strong educators. And it it helps when you, when kids know, you know, their folks or their, their community, they're, you know, it's it's easier to get along. Right. So I think we do that, but it's just not as, um, standardized, right. That's not as expected. Um, but I, that's one thing that I think would change things for the better here, not necessarily, um, not necessarily attaching more legal responsibility to teachers here, but in the training of teachers and in the way that we help educators understand how to do their job, if we were more focused on aspects of building relationships with family and community and, and made that part of the evaluation of teachers, frankly, I think that would make a difference, a real positive difference. Yeah. 
especially in the world yeah. we live in today, which is, can feel so divided and so disparate. And, um, sure. so yeah, I think, does that help? Is that, it does. And, you know, part of me wants to run down a whole education sure. rabbit hole with you, that would be fascinating <laughs> to me, but I'm not sure it's exactly right for this podcast, but that's fascinating that you, and how long was that? How long were you in London? I was there for two and a half years. And I taught for two, two and a half years. years. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And when did the Thacker Mountain radio hour happen? Because <laughs> I need a little yeah, bit about sure. that. So I'm um, moved back home. Um, and when I say home, I moved back to Mississippi. I think that was Mississippi. much to the chagrin of my mother. Um, who was still in Georgia, but I Georgia. Um, yep. I moved back home and joined staff with Teach for America and was doing some nonprofit administrative work, which was great, but I needed to like scratch my creative itch, I guess, um, after so much music and English teaching, um, just the, the development paperwork world wasn't doing it for me. Um, but I was working in Oxford, Mississippi, and they had a live radio show that happened weekly um, every Thursday that featured what I would say Mississippi does really well, which is music and literature. And they needed someone to book the music. And I was like, I can do that. I'm good. It's all the things I'm good at. I'm good at organizing people and systems. I'm really good at picking out great music. I'm good at having a great time. So I, this is, this is, for me. um, so I started, I picked that up as sort of a part-time gig. And then, um, I had a child and wanted work that was more flexible, um, than what I needed to give to teach for America, which felt very, very yeah. important. So I pitched to the board of Thacker to hire me as their first executive director. And they much to my surprise said yes. Um, and so I, took that on and really built that organization from one that was like, oh, this is kind of sort of fun weekly thing into a statewide arts nonprofit um, that has done a lot of good, I think, for musicians yeah. um, and authors in our region. And so we're really proud of that work. And um, yeah, and it had a lot of fun. So, yeah. Am I right that Oxford is the birthplace of the blues? Isn't that where Robert Johnson supposedly sold his soul? Am I thinking right? <laughs> Close. It's Clarksdale. It's Close. Just about, Clarksdale. Just about 60 miles Clarksdale. to the west of Oxford. Right. But Oxford is the home okay. of William Faulkner. So, you know, lots of great literature from there. Gotcha. Fantastic. Such a rich history right. and rich music down there. It must have been amazing. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So it is time for us to get to politics uh, at last. So 2019 you decide you want to run to represent Mississippi's 8th district seat for the state Senate. So tell us, how'd you get to this choice? Yes. Um, <laughs> so I, having worked in, in education and with a nonprofit, um, quickly came to the conclusion, even early in my education career, that education is inherently political. You have a lot of different stakeholders. You have people who are not in classrooms making policy for people who are trying to work in classrooms and educate students. You've got folks who are at the local level making decisions for entire districts. You have administration and community members. And that whole puzzle is just very, very political. Um, and, and I knew that I wanted to have an impact there. The, the theme, I hope, and a lot of what has driven my life is, in, is the pursuit of equity, particularly in the realm of education. And what I saw was, you know, education is sort of the cultural 
the cultural side of things. So it's where the, where the change happens, but you can codify and influence that change through policy um, and, and decisions on the policy end of things. And that felt like an unexplored space that I wanted to play in. Um, after the 2016 presidential election, I felt like my uh, fringe involvement in politics, which included you know, voting and um, just being interested mm-hmm. in it and like being a part of conversation, great, um, needed to move up to the next level. And originally had planned to run for school board here in Water Valley, um, but I also was re- uh, remodeling a house just up the re- just up the street from where I was living in 2019. But moving from the house where I was into the house I was remodeling would move me out of the school board district seat. Mm-hmm. So I was like, so in 2019, I was trying to run for school board. So I was looking up the seats and doing all the stuff. And the uh, chancery clerk was like, I mean, sorry, but you, you could do it, but you'd be here for however long. And then when you move, you have to get right. your seat. Um, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, that's a bummer. And he said, but the Senate, the Senator that's in our Senate district is stepping down. And if you are interested in really making an impact, then maybe you ought to consider that. <laughs> I was like, great. Wow. Sounds fun. So seems th- great. Okay. <laughs> I'm in. Did you just jump in? Were you just like, all right, let's do this? I did. Or I did. Was, well, yeah, I, did. I, a friend Amazing. of mine was running in um, District 9, which is the Oxford district, so 25 miles away. Mm-hmm. And I called and said, hey, have lunch with me. I have this wild idea and I have questions and I want to talk to you about it. And we had, you know, we had lunch and I said, here's, here's where I am. Here's my story. Here's, here's why I'm like into this and interested in it, but tell, talk me out of it. Like, tell me, this is not a good idea. Tell me all the things that can go wrong. Um, and he said, just very matter of factly, you know, we need women in politics. We need folks who have kids in politics. We need people who are interested in education to be in politics. And I think you should do it. And here's the playbook. He was like, these, these are the things you need to do to get set up make sure you have like, go ahead and get your website together, get ready to launch everything. You know, he kind of gave me a checklist of things to do to make a strong mm-hmm. launch and then um, sponsored me when I launched with other uh, other folks in politics in our state capital, right? So consultants that were there, people that were already in office, um, yeah. you know, they, they would say like, what, what's this, what is, what's she about? And he, I think right. very kindly and, um, and to, I have so much gratitude for this said, you should take her seriously. You should take a look at the launch. Like you should really look at this because she's not playing around. Um, mm-hmm. and that was really, that was really kind. And it made people pay attention. Um, and we had a strong yeah. launch. It was great. And at the same time, I reached out to other Teach for America alum who had run for office, who ran for office in the greater Delta region. And Mm -hmm. those folks consulted the campaign, really helped us get everything in line. And I think most importantly, um, introduced me to new politics. And I started working with Jess Lieberman. Um, Yeah. And we, everything that I didn't know up to that point, I learned, um, I learned with new politics and we'll say that again and again. Um, I hired a a college senior to be my campaign manager. She had 
some experience with campaigns. Um, <laughs> yeah, as much as you can as a high school senior. Right? Um, and, yep. you know, Jess really just took us under her wing, taught us everything about cutting from, from cutting turf to phone banking. And we had a really wonderful, strong community around us that were excited by the idea of someone who had field experience and real life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, getting into politics in a different way, not running like a, a gross, splashy campaign, but running a campaign that was built on the idea that every person in our district, in our state should have a seat at the table, should have a voice in the conversation that politics was not just reserved for a small group of people, but was open to everyone. And that got people really excited. And so we, we had a, built a great team um, and had a lot of help, but that is, and I think that really is the why behind like, why did I run for office was the idea that you can pull together a bunch of people from a lot of different places and backgrounds and get them to talk to each other and realize that our differences are not that stark. There's always something you can, there's always some ground you can find in common and we can work together and we're stronger that way. Love it. Love it. And for listeners, Jess Lieberman uh, uh, was a campaign advisor mm-hmm. for New Politics. Yeah. Can you say a little bit, She, uh, her connection with your campaign? Yeah. So listeners understand Absolutely. a little bit about how New Politics supports. Absolutely. Um, so we met Jess and um, just had a phone conversation, told her a little bit about what we were doing, trying to do. And she said, okay, I, I'm going to talk to our team. I think we can take this on and came back and said, we want be a part of, be a part of our work. We would meet gosh, weekly and just check in on everything from like, how, how's it feeling going door to door to what is your phone script sounding like? Um, do we need to, do we need to make any changes? How many voter IDs are you getting? I, know, I knew none of this. I knew, didn't know what these mm-hmm. terms meant. Um, but so a lot of education, right. And we really focused on learning as much as we could alongside Jess, um, from and alongside Jess and the, and the folks at new politics. And we did everything they told us to do as much as we could, you know, like, and I needed all the help I could get. So, you know, Jess would help us set targets for how much money we needed to raise or how many doors we needed to mm-hmm. knock on or how many voter IDs we needed to get and how sticky were those and what kind of events did we need to put together and who were we getting to work on those? And that stuff was just invaluable because I had no idea, like, Right. I had no idea. Uh, and she really illuminated the path um, and then let us execute. And it was great. Love it. Love it. So as the first time candidate, you made it to the runoff for the Democratic nomination and you raised $80,000 in a four month campaign, which was more than any other Senate candidate had raised That's right. in that time. Frame. Yeah. So I guess tell us a little about your experiences campaigning. You know, what was it like? going door to door and trying to raise that money. Yeah. Just give a little sense yeah, of the day sure. in the life of a, um, yeah. so much time on the phone really didn't expect mm-hmm. that <laughs> Man, yeah. I spent a lot of time on the phone and I talked to people I hadn't talked to in 20 years, but had their like name and number in my phone book. So <laughs> that was really, honestly, I'm calling and asking people for money um, on the face of it is like, Oh, not my favorite thing to do. But the reality is it was great to reconnect actually with like tons of people that I hadn't talked to in a really long time. And eventually I got to the place where I was like, I'm, I'm, 
yes, am I asking you for money for this campaign? Yes. But mostly I'm offering you an opportunity to be a part of this big project that we're doing. And it's, it's pretty cool. And that felt a lot better for me, felt a lot more natural, um, from, for the way I operate. And so, you know, then it didn't have to be kind of fun and it got to be a game where it was like, how much, how much money can I raise? How fast can I raise it? Like, how do we, who are, who are we calling? Who do we go back to? Who's excited? And we'll ask people for us. Like that part, um, was just, and it's a grind, you know, like you just have to kind of put your head down and do it once it's done, then you're in such a solid place. And when the numbers start coming in on reporting deadlines and you're seeing your campaign out, outraise and outraise and outraise and outraise, it just makes you feel more confident and you have so much more um, to play with, right? So you can buy extra yard signs or you can do that radio ad or you can you know, make five different mailers and get your name out there as a first-time candidate that nobody's ever heard of. Um, and that is really empowering. Um, it's also like kind of gross. I don't, I wish politics didn't run on money, but they, they do right. in a lot of ways. So, so that was just, it was very educational for me. And, um, it was kind of, it was for me, for my personality type, it was kind of fun. Um, and then I, the door knocking was great. People asked me a lot. Senate eight is not a D eight in Mississippi as is a lot of Mississippi yep. is not particular. I, I ran as a Democrat. It is not particularly democratic heavy. It's a, it's a really right. red state and a red district. Yep. And so I was really um, like concerned that it would diminish my faith in humanity to knock on a lot of doors of people who I knew were not going to agree with me um, right off the bat, or some, some cases would be like diametrically opposed to my worldview. Yeah. But yeah. um, it, the opposite was true. I actually restored my faith in humanity. Like, I loved knocking on doors, even people that didn't wow. agree with me Say more. at all. Um, we always could find something to talk about. And people were not, I think on social media, it can really feel like, I mean, folks will say anything when they're not saying it to your face. You know what I mean? So there right. were some times where like, there was some really mean stuff that was like on Facebook, but those same people, when you're standing in front of them, were so kind, just really, and really curious, curious about who it was and why I was doing this and mm-hmm. what I wanted to be true in the world. And, um, you know, and there were things I could always talk about with people. Folks are concerned with their children, their legacy, the legacy of their place, um, the world at large, you know, what's going to happen in the next 10 years. And people, want and and people just wanted to talk like i think a lot of folks are really lonely and mm-hmm. visiting is so such an um it's such a lost art i think and that's hard to say being from the south so i think we really pride ourselves down here and like being really great at it but right right, right. i think folks are sort of hungry for that connection um, and I didn't try to push anything really hard while I was on doors. I just wanted to say hello to folks and hear and, and learn from them, like really hear what they yeah. wanted to be true. Um, so yeah, it was great. I actually really loved it. Amazing. And I, I hear you, you know, my, I can imagine assuming that for a Democrat campaigning in Mississippi in 2019, uh, that would be unpleasant, but, but really fascinating to hear that it was, you know, restored your, your, um, faith in humanity, that people were respectful and able to have decent conversations and, and just connect. That's fantastic. Totally. Yeah. How do you think your service background influenced your campaign? 
Hmm, that's such a great question. I think you know, working a campaign is is work. It's hard, hard work, right. and I think that it on the outside, um, for me anyway, I had this idea that like. Um, it was real glamorous and like camp, <laughs> you know, in the movies, candidates big are always speeches. like driving around in a, yeah, big speeches and yeah. they got a driver and they're like in a nice car. And in reality, it's like me and my 2007 unair conditioned Jetta <laughs> driving in like the back, <laughs> back roads yeah. in South Mississippi, right? So yeah. it, it's just like a lot of hard work. And I think if you're not looking at it as an opportunity to serve, then that can be really tiresome and really um, unfun. Mm. But the reality for me is, or the way I was approaching being, quote unquote, being a politician, is it is a service that you're doing for your community, community service. And that opportunity to be out and with people um, in, you know, when you're like, it's a hundred degrees in the shade and you're, on your six, like dirt, dirt road and yep. seven dog. Like it's, it can be daunting unless you are in it for the, the ability to connect, to hear from other folks, to really build something together. And then it's not a chore. It is, it's a lot of fun and it's a great, great experience. But for me, that's what, that's how I think about service. So I don't know if that really answered your question. But yeah. Well, it shows you the, the how, how, important that sense of purpose is and that commitment to service how it shifts the whole experience from a grind to like this is a a joyful way to spend some time to get to know these folks yeah. and, and be trying to improve the community yeah Powerful. absolutely yeah so you had did you have both kids at that time where were you at as a mom at that moment yes i had yes. um yeah at that time i had a six-year-old and a three-year-old so um that was really interesting people were like what are you gonna do with the kids while you're campaigning mm -hmm. not just put them with me <laughs> they just get, we rode in the car together they could tell you where every mcdonald's and district eight is yep. like we yep. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. but I actually really loved that as an experience they got to see a a lot of different things than what they would have just being at home with the babysitter. Um, I spent some real time with them and we talked about real stuff mm. that I would have gotten brought up if I hadn't been out in the world talking to folks who like don't agree with me all the time, you know? That's amazing. So you were driving around with your kids. Would you like knock on doors with your kids with you? Sometimes, yeah. We on Saturdays we did. Um, yeah. and the weekdays they had like activities and babysitters and stuff but i want to spend some time with them so saturdays yeah, sure. we would get up in the morning and drive the far our district was really wise it was like two and a half hours to get from one side to the other so we mm -hmm. would drive get up early saturday morning drive get some breakfast and then um knock doors and work our way home um and it was it was a lot of work you know but it also was really healthy for me because i'm the kind of person that's like i set a goal of 250 doors today and i will do it and it no will happen what. yep Yep. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But with children, you like you have to take a break. You got to like take a minute and yeah. breathe and get present and be human. And that I think was really helpful for me as a candidate because um, it helps me stay connected to who I was as a person and not just be a machine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. What advice would you have for other moms who are thinking about running for office but are wondering if they can do it as a mom? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, you can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when people ask me that question, like, how are you going to do this? What I heard was (laughs) you can't do that. So my biggest message is you absolutely can. And it's a great experience if you let it be. Um, but you know, I also, I had a ton of help. My partner was very supportive, um, cooked a million meals, put mm-hmm. kids to bed for mm-hmm. weeks on end. Um, and, and I did a lot of work on my own too. Um, we had a really strong support system of, you know, friends and babysitters who helped out and made the children under feel and understand that they were still like surrounded and loved, even if I wasn't right there in the room. Um, so, so just make sure your support system is set up and ready. Um, and then the last thing is make your campaign family friendly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important because it's so inclusive. It it builds belonging anyway, if it's good for kids and it's going to be good for everybody. And I think that was really useful for us, um, and made it sustainable and, and made us really push our thinking about. Um, what was essential and what was just like the thing that people did because they did campaigns. You know what I mean? Well, say a little bit more. What does it mean to make your campaign family friendly beyond, you know, bringing your kids with you on Saturdays to knock doors? Yeah. yeah. Um, Well, you know, we had events during, in times when kids could be awake. It wasn't always like nighttime events. Right. right. Um, I was proud of every like piece of mail that we put out. It was never, I never wanted to put something out in my campaign that my kids would be embarrassed of. Right. Mm -hmm. There was Mm -hmm. like um, one on the fence piece that I don't feel like great about, but I would still feel okay. Like sharing with my children, why I made the decision I did and, and put it out in the world. Right. So in all our messaging, I think um, I, I would feel really proud to share with my children. And that's kind of what I'm thinking about when I say like family friendly. If you wouldn't do it, if you wouldn't make the decision with your kids sitting right there asking you why you made it, then it's probably not a decision for me anyway. It wasn't a yeah. decision that I wanted to make. What a powerful thing to think about in politics. Of just a, yeah, okay I think kids. Can, love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I mean, because they're the people who are going to be impacted by the decision anyway, right? Yeah. That's what, that's what it's all for. So. Love it. So unfortunately, the, that campaign didn't work out for you. Um, yeah. Tell us how it went down and then a little bit how to feel to lose. Yeah. Um, so we went, first of all, I did not, I had never run for anything, did not expect to do well <laughs> at all. So mm-hmm. every, like every time we did anything well, it was a total shock. <laughs> we were like, whoa, okay, great, great. <laughs> Um, so we made it to there. It was the Democratic. Um, there was a Democratic election to, for the Democratic nominee, and then there was the general election. So we made it into uh, a runoff. It was a three-way Democratic race, and we made it into the runoff um, for the Democratic nomination. Yep. I totally didn't expect. Nobody expected, um, frankly, and so that was felt like a huge win. Um, and then in the runoff, we we just didn't pull it out. Like we didn't get people back out. Some of the key places where we really needed voter turnout didn't have runoff races except ours. And so they weren't like that excited about getting back out to vote. Um, I think that kind of hurt us. And then Mm. places where um, my, the opponent was, had a stronger hold on the base did have really big runoff elections. And so it turned out votes for, for him. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And he just had more experience than us. So right. 
fine. Um, but I, th I think um, I sort of expected to feel really terrible about losing, but in the end, um, I didn't at all. I felt like hmm. very grateful for the opportunity that I was given. I felt there was a moment where I was like, oh, these people gave all this money right. and I didn't use right. it right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but, but then I thought, and I talked to a couple of folks about that, a couple of bigger donors. Um, and they were like, look, that's, that's the game. Mm -hmm. Like you, there's no guarantee. And we didn't give, I mean, it would have been great if you won, but we didn't give because it, we would only be happy if you won. We gave because we were happy you were given it a chance and yeah. that your message felt important and we were helping you get that out. And that was really comforting actually. Um, but overall I was like, you know, when you step back and take stock, I met a ton of people who were amazing, inspiring. Like I talked to folks who had like long-term illnesses and hadn't been visited by a candidate ever um, in their home. Wow. People who gave me fresh grown vegetables or cans of homemade plum jelly and had gave me breakfast on the road from their home. Um, I, I held a woman as she like cried because she just found out her sister died right before I knocked on the door. Yeah. Those experiences are invaluable moments of human connection that I only would have had because of doing that thing. So, I mean, it's a bummer not to win, but right. but I did win. Like I won a lot. No and regrets. That felt really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. not at all. Yeah, it's powerful because I know a lot of folks say, "What if I, you know, I, I can't do this because what if I lose? What if I put myself out there and it doesn't work yeah. out?" And I've just talked to so many candidates like you, where it's like I wouldn't change it. You know, would have been nice to win, but just totally. grateful for the experience. Um, so it wasn't the end of politics for you. We, you know, I had connected with you a little bit at the end of that race. And then next thing I knew, you had gotten yourself elected to uh, the school board in Water Valley, <laughs> Mississippi. So yeah. tell us a little bit what you kind of turned right around and jumped into a school board sure. race. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, everything that I learned on the much larger right. Senate and I employed in a much smaller uh, state school board campaign. Um, now, that was really interesting. So in 2019, I ran for um, 2019, I ran for Senate. In 2020, yep. I ran for school board. And of course, 2020 was the pandemic. Right. So running for office during a pandemic was a whole different ballgame. Um, it was a really small race. And it was a pandemic. And so one, I think would say one of the biggest differences was I, my partner and I decided to fund the campaign on our own, just mm. make it really like small homespun, <laughs> okay. not mm -hmm. a lot of frills, right? Like we didn't do a ton of spending at all. And um, we made like a couple of yard signs. My mom and dad made postcards and wrote them and address hand addressed them to wow. like all the people in the school board district that mm -hmm. I was running for, like that mm -hmm. was our mailing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And I just got a walk list from the chancery clerk. I didn't go, didn't get access to any databases or anything. I just made my own spreadsheet and just knocked doors based on that. I knocked on every door in the district. And ultimately um, I ran against a guy whose mom was a lifelong career educator here who had a kid on the softball team, had gone to high school here. And everybody was like, oh, he's going to he's going to win because he's from here. Mm -hmm. But I think the mistake that folks like that make, um, and he's a great guy, like totally fine. Mm -hmm. But I think the mistake that folks like that make is 
they are like, oh, everybody knows me. So I don't really have to work. Like I don't have to do the work. Mm. But the reality is not everybody knows you, you know, like a lot of people, all the people, you know, know you, and you probably know a lot of people, but it's not everybody that's got to vote. And so the knocking, knocking on everybody's door was really, I think key. And it's why we pulled it out. Um, and it doesn't cost anything except time. So right. Right. Shoe leather. uh, Yeah. Um, and, and so I did that and, but in a very like interesting, wore a mask all the time, um, stood outside, talked to people through glass doors, you know, like the whole, Mm -hmm. no hugging on this one. It was all just strictly socially distanced and, um, and as safe health wise as possible, but that, you know, but it felt doable because of everything that I had learned from folks at new politics, from just the experience of being on a campaign, um, and understanding what a campaign looks like from start to finish, I think really helped us have an edge that the other, um, candidate didn't have. And so we pulled it out. It was great. And that felt like great. Had, for us. Do you feel like you would kind of name recognition and do you, do you feel like your state Senate campaign, you know, kind of mm-hmm. laid a groundwork that was helpful at this level? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So a lot of people were like, didn't I vote for you already? <laughs> That's <laughs> like, nice. Oh, I yep. hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but some, for something totally different. So yes, that was very helpful. Um, and it was nice to leverage that, right? Like that was part of the reason why I didn't sit out the 2020 school board election. I totally could have just waited until the seat came open again. Mm-hmm. But it felt important to all the people that did give me money in the Senate campaign and helped get my name out there and helped knock doors here to leverage that momentum and and kind of pull it into this um into this win so that was that was really great actually that's amazing and tell us a little bit how do you know you're making a difference on the school board yeah that's a great question um here's my very concrete example so on the school board a lot of what we do is like listen to recommendations from the people who are doing the work and then say, okay, that makes sense. Or I have a question. Let me, let's tease that out a little. Yeah. Right. Um, which I think it's great. That's it's, it's really how I prefer things to work. Folks yeah. doing the work should, should absolutely have the most input in the decision. Um, that said though, the folks doing the work are doing the work. So they have like lots of things to do. So sometimes it can, it can be easy to go with the easy option. Right. Um, so one example recently, was there was an opportunity to bring in like a consultant firm to do some consulting with reading teachers at the elementary level. Very important here in Mississippi. Um, We have a like standardized test that kids can't pass the third grade. They will not leave third grade Mm -hmm. until they pass this reading test, right? Mm -hmm. But the third grade gate is real important. High pressure. Um, And a lot of schools and districts hire consultants to come and consult with or train third grade teachers on test taking skills and reading for third graders. And that's a way to do it. But because I have a lot of experience in the field of education, I also have a huge network of folks that I know that sometimes do consulting work or have opinions about consultants or have insight into what works best for training, et cetera. So we had um, a recommendation for one of those, um, what I would call like a touch flashpoint consultancy where it was a lot of money and they came in for like two days of training for third grade only. But I had um, access to a diff, 
a different group of folks who have a very different approach, but a lot less money, cost a lot less money. Um, And they really come in and help teachers identify um, uh, skill gaps with students from kindergarten all the way to third grade. So you don't just address test taking, you address what it means to learn to read so that you can read to learn. Love it. And that Mm -hmm. felt really important to me. So in this meeting, when we were going to pass this recommendation, I, um, in that moment said, I'm, I'm actually not going to vote on this right now. And I would ask that we table the recommendation until I can bring an alternative and then we can decide as a group, which we think would be better. Um, and was able to put together that proposal and get people together um, for that conversation. And we ended up going with the, the sort of long-term mm-hmm. consultancy mm-hmm. group, um, which has shifted our um, school. Well, kids just took the state test, so we won't know exactly what happened yeah. for another couple of months. But in all of the benchmarks, the, that elementary school has grown um like 70 points in each um, in each piece that they're trying to, they're like measuring and all of the administration and a lot of the teachers to point back to the work that the Barksdale Reading Institute is doing with that school to help shore up instructional training from kindergarten to grade because kids are doing a much better job, not just of like taking a test, right? actually learning the skills that they need to read. And I think that is, for me, that feels really important. Reading for me was always a gateway into so many other worlds and opportunities and every kid should have access to that. So for me, that is like a concrete example of a way that I it's a great example. So powerful. Um, yeah. Well, I recognize we've been we've been chatting for a while. So appreciate your your generosity of sharing your story and your wisdom. My last question is just: What advice do you have for other other servant leaders out there who have kind of walked a path like you have and are looking at the headlines and wondering if they should hop in the arena? What do you say to them? Uh, yes, do it. Um, I think it can be really easy to talk yourself out of it. There's a million reasons not to, right? But If you are someone who really is driven by service, if you're somebody who sees the way that our political system works now and and knows that there's a different and better way to do things um, and you want to be a part of it, if you're somebody who just loves people and wants to know them and wants to build build the fabric of community, then do it. It's hard. It's hard work. It's definitely sacrifices to be made. But the reward for you, um, for the people close around you and for your community is so huge that it's almost like it's almost a bummer not to do it. Mm. You know what I mean? If you're thinking about it, go for it. Love it. Well, Catherine, just thank you. It's such an inspiration. And and to hear about your journey is uh, just um, exactly what our organization is about. So just really appreciate you taking the time to tell us all about what, what got you here and what you've been working on. So really appreciate you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. It was a joy. This has been the New Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Max Clow. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join us for our next episode when we meet another servant leader who has chosen to step up and serve through politics. If you want to learn more about New Politics and the candidates that we support, please check us out online at newpolitics.org. 
If you're a fan of what we're doing with this podcast, I invite you to become a subscriber and give us a positive rating. It's a small act that helps us out in a big way. And if you believe in the work that we're doing at New Politics, please consider donating via our website to support our efforts to revitalize American democracy by bringing more servant leaders like Catherine into politics. I'll leave you with this question, as always. How do you feel called to serve at this critical moment for our nation? Thanks for joining. See you next time.